This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you are either viewing this on YouTube or on our website, or you're listening to this on iTunes. We invite you to drop us a line at fredjeffsmith at cox.net to let us know what you think about the podcast, how we're doing, things that we could improve upon. We look forward to hearing from you. I am very happy today to welcome a friend of mine, Mr. Gary Chambers, here uh, to share with us and be our guest on the Thrive Podcast. Mr. Chambers, how you doing? Thank you for having me, brother. I am so excited to be here with you. Good to see you. Rainy, wet day. It is a rainy, wet day. As this is being recorded, the streets are being flooded in Baton Rouge, and uh, I didn't know whether or not Mr. Chambers was going to be able to make it out, but he is here, and I'm very grateful for your presence. Mr. Chambers, you are running for Senate District 15. Yes, sir. Let's talk about it. What well, what, what caused you to make that decision? Um, really, um, I think that there's so much. There's only so much I can get done from the outside. Um, as you know, I've, I've been advocating in the community for the last four years, um, and really just learning how uh, the construct of our government works and what it's doing for us and what it's not doing for us. Right, um, and the highest office of legislative power in our state. Uh, is the state senate um, and so that gives me the ability to be able to make the greatest impact on the legislation the laws that we make in our state um, as well as the resources right there's a 27 billion dollar budget in our state mm-hmm. um, the district that i'm uh, currently going after uh, doesn't get a whole lot of those resources um, and one of my missions is to bring those uh, resources to senate district 15. why do you think that's the case what why, why do you think that uh, district 15 does not get its fair share of resources. I from think the state. we've got to learn how to leverage our vote. Um, I think that ultimately uh, we haven't compiled the type of projects that bring in those resources. Um, you know, they're going to talk about the Comey Diversion Canal that's going to come, but that's a 30-year uh, project, something mm-hmm. that's been in the works for long before uh, I was, what, two two or three years old when it started, right? right. Um, but other than that, we've got a $10 million ER in the last few years, um, but I haven't seen much from the state in mm-hmm. our district. I think that it's because we haven't put the deals together to bring the investment to North Baton Rouge Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, and we haven't got the partners to the table to say, look, this is what we want to do and this is how we do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think as we begin to do that, we'll see the resources come. And so that's one of my objectives, to bring all the partners to the table uh, from the business sector, uh, the public sector, um, philanthropy, and figure out how do we get something moving uh, to redevelop and revitalize this community that I love. Before I ask the next question, give us a, 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 a geographic description of what District 15 is. Northern, uh, how far north, how far so south? Senate uh, District 15 includes Zachary, okay. Baker, Alson, Scotlandville, okay. uh, Brownsville, Sharon Hills, Greenwood, Park Forest, Zion City, okay. Glen Oaks, uh, Villa Del Rey, um, Monticello. Uh, Sherwood, the hood, um, and Sherwood Forest, mm-hmm. um, and it ends uh, right outside of Boulevard de Province on I-12. So it's okay. about 122,000 people in the district. It's a huge district. It is massive. Yeah, it's massive. A lot of uh, ground to cover. Is is bank? I, I heard all the neighbors. Did you say banks? Is banks included in that no, as well? No, Southern Heights is in the district, but banks. But is banks not is not. No. 
ain't that interesting. <laughs> it is. I grew up in Southern Heights, and I know where Banks is. Yes. And so that, I, I find, over. yeah, I find that very over. interesting. Yeah, it's not. Um, and I, that's, I think, because uh, Senate District 14 mm-hmm. holds Southern University. Right. And I think that there's a, a deep desire for Senate District 14 to maintain holding Southern University. Okay. And so I think that that's why the lines cut the way that they do. It but is redistricting happens um, in 2021. 2021 with the um, census. And so if I am elected when I am elected right um, we will have the opportunity to redraw those lines okay the metro airport is that included in yes it is okay uh, so then the coca-cola bottling uh, yes sir. Uh, plant is included in your district I, I'm, I'm asking that because you mentioned business partners and, yes. and working out uh, collaborative agreements in order to bring enterprise into that area uh, so I'm assuming you have a plan that would uh, include these people as business partners in the redevelopment of North Baton Rouge. Of course. So currently I serve on the North Baton Rouge Economic Development District. Right. Um, and so currently we've already begun to foster relationships with Breck, the airport, um, the private sector, ExxonMobil. Um, and so I'm going to facilitate using those same relationships we built from the commission mm-hmm. um, and bring those into the Senate office and figure out how do we expand on the work that's already being done. I think another thing that has to happen is the North Baton Rouge Economic Development District needs more resources. Mm-hmm. Currently the district gets about 200000 a year and I think that they need to be somewhere around 500,000 or more Um, the district is just massive right and the the lay of land that they have to cover Mm -hmm. um, the resources just isn't enough we Mm -hmm. hired Jerry Jones as the executive director I think Jerry's gotten off to a great start Mm -hmm. Uh, we're actually uh, ending North Baton Rouge Economic Development Week this week Um, and it's been a tremendous week folks came out from all over the community Um, and so we've got to get him more resources get the district more resources Um, I think that happens through multiple ways. I think there can be a partnership with City Parish, uh, the same way the Downtown Development d- District has one. Right. Um, and the DDD basically provides certain services for City Parish, mm-hmm. and City Parish compensates them for doing mm-hmm. so. I think we can do some of the same things in North Baton Rouge, and we're exploring those conversations now. Was there not, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't there a dedicated tax that was supposed to go to the north? So uh, we have a tax. We right. have, that's how we get the 200000 that right. we have. It's a uh, sales tax on hotel occupancy. Right. So people coming in town uh, that stay in the hotels that are in the borders of the district, they pay a 2% sales tax to the district, um, and that's how we're funded. And, and that's so primarily how place? That's how place uh, and some of the smaller hotels that are on airline highways. Okay. Well. Um, okay. But the, the bulk of those resources come from how place. Uh, So like last year uh, when uh, Georgia played LSU um, and every hotel in the parish was sold out, uh, we were greatly benefited by that. Um, And so uh, we want LSU to play top (laughs) 10 teams as much as possible. What happens when Southern moves all of their games all over the world instead of having their games? Southern never has more. LSU always has seven home games a year. Every year, seven home games. It's it's extremely profitable. Southern has three or maybe four home games a year. I would think that you would do better from this tax standpoint if Southern kept more of their games. Well, we definitely want the Jaguars home, too, uh, because they bring in uh, large crowds. uh, People that are alumni of Southern come in for any game, right? Right. And that's beneficial to us. Um, And so I think Jerry's definitely going to be having conversations with uh, the board and the president at Southern Athletic Mm -hmm. Director to figure out how do we get more games here. Yeah, yeah. It definitely will be beneficial, though. I think so, too. Um, You and I first met uh, right after 
the Alton Sterling shooting yes, sir. In, in 2016. Colorful time. It is now 1,033 days yeah. since Alton Sterling was killed, and there has still been no justice brought to his death. Uh, how does that make you feel? Because I know that you were a very vocal advocate. Disappointed uh, in government um, because I think we had a real opportunity to make progress in this community at mm -hmm. that moment. Mm -hmm. um, we had a chance to look in the mirror and see who we really are. Um, and I think that on both sides of the aisle, uh, no matter if you live in North Baton Rouge, South Baton Rouge, black, white, Democrat, Republican, I think that people got to see the reality of Baton Rouge and recognize it. Um, but also in recognizing it, recognizing how difficult the changes that we need to make are. Um, for people like me, those changes don't seem difficult at all. Um, but those who have uh, vested interest in the police department, within our government, and the, the current power structure of this city um, didn't have the courage to make the changes necessary. Um, and that's disappointing, right? And And what kind of fueled me to see that you've got to be in the positions of power to make the decisions in those critical moments or use the power that you're given to make those decisions. Um, and I just haven't seen those decisions made. I've mm -hmm. seen people um, attempt to do certain things, um, but as you said, justice is, has not come, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a family that uh, lost a loved one. There's a civil suit that still hasn't been settled. Uh, the Metro Council, as recently as I think this week, discussed it in executive session. Um, and this family's now years down the line, and this case is still open to some degree, right? Yeah. Uh, Blaine Salamone's um, civil service hearing has been delayed repeatedly. It was supposed to happen in December, then it was supposed to happen um, in March uh, or April, and now it's moved again. Um, and so it's like every time the community feels like we're gonna end this thing, right, um, it's back open, and then you realize that um, not just Alton Sterling, but Jordan Frazier, who was killed uh, a few months after Alton Sterling. Um, there was another brother, uh, Calvin Tony, who was killed after Alton Sterling. Um, these cases got no justice as well. Mm -hmm. uh, there were uh, there was a two gentlemen struck by police officers driving cars that were killed. Uh, and when you look at that and you ask, how do we allow? so many citizens to be killed at the hands of our police officers and not a single officer be held accountable. Um, that's disappointing. Last year, um, conversations around um, Youssef Hamadi and what happened with him um, and Raheem Howard, right? He shoots at this young man not far from Shiloh. Um, the young man was running away. Uh, the officer, uh, in my opinion, got a free pass because he was able to leave the department. Um, I'm glad the chief got rid of him, right, by whatever means. But it's sad that the chief, in order to deal with this officer, had to basically just let him go. Right. Just let him not be a cop anymore and pay him back pay. Because police officers have rights that normal citizens do not have. And we should ask ourselves, why does a profession, right, get more rights and protections than the people that the profession is supposed to serve? Yeah. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Um, and, and if you try to have a discussion about the police officer's Bill of Rights, which is uh, the laws that are embedded in our state that allow these things to, to persist, one of the things that, that's in the police officer's Bill of Rights 
if you or I go out and commit a crime right now um, and we shoot someone, right, we're going to immediately have to give uh, a report of what happened in an interrogation to police officers. Um, we're not going to be given the opportunity that to watch correct. a video. We're not going to be given the opportunity uh, to do anything besides if we call for a lawyer, right? Um, and you can not say anything, but you're not going to be given the opportunity uh, to concoct your story, okay? Uh, police officers in Baton Rouge and all over the state of Louisiana get the opportunity to wait um, 30 days. 30 days before they have to give testimony. 30 days um, to, to make a statement about something that happened 30 days previous. If you recognize the way the news works in our current society, right, um, so the media will get it, and everything that the police department knows and everything that uh, is going to come out will be revealed within those 30 days. Um, and in those 30 days, if I'm a cop and I've committed a crime, I get to watch those news cycles. I get to watch the narrative that's being shaped and then shape my testimony to defeat that narrative, right? Um, which puts me at a great advantage over justice. Yes. Um, and to deny the opportunity for justice to exist. Um, and so laws like that have got to be revisited, and we've got to figure out how do we dismantle them and make them fair across the board. Tying this back to your run for the state Senate, is there something, and, and I'm asking because I simply don't know, is there something as a state legislator that you could do? In, 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 yes. Assuming that you became state senator. Yes. Is there something that you could do to address these concerns? So for me, uh, I would bring the police officer's bill of rights back before the legislature for revisions. Um, I think that this should be a bipartisan thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, that that requires sitting down and explaining these issues in a way that I don't, I'm not sure we do. You can't wait till you get to session and in the legislature to start talking to the 39, 38 other members of the Senate. You've mm -hmm. got to begin to have these conversations prior to the session, make this make sense to people so that when they show up at the session, they can digest what their vote is, right? Mm -hmm. Because I understand when you have a constituency that you're loyal to. I understand that uh, for the average Republican or white member of our community, um, they don't have the same relationship with police officers, so their vantage point is different. And so we've got to do the relationship building that allows us to do the legislation changing. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that that's happening. It's clear that it's not happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one step. Now, I can't promise you that we'll get it done, but I sure. do think that there are things that we can attempt to do right. uh, to make it more fair. Right. You mentioned uh, district lines are going to be redrawn mm -hmm. after 2021. Uh, we we held a, a an informational meeting here at the church back in February, I believe it was, uh, regarding the census and redistricting. And we had the secretary of the Louisiana State Senate come in and talk to us about the difficulties of redrawing these lines historically, uh, not knowing yet what the census is going to reveal. Uh, uh, we do have some fairly good indications that the population increases that, that will be seen in Louisiana will be at I-10 and south, mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that the population shift is moving south of I-10 and, and not north of I-10. With that reality uh, and, and, and with the urban centers uh, within the state being primarily New Orleans, Baton Rouge, to a certain extent, Lafayette, uh, and, the, and the rest of the state being more conservative, more white, more rural. 
What do you see with regard to potential shifts in uh, uh, district uh, lines, geography, uh, post the census as opposed to the way that they are now? So I definitely think that we, specifically African Americans, need a greater representation in mm -hmm. both legislative bodies as well as Congress. Um, based on the demographics of our state, we should have a second congressional district, second minority congressional district. And yet he uh, said, he, the guy who came, and I wish I could remember his name, uh, he, he came in and he said that he didn't see it happening. And he was challenged on it three or four different times. And he said that with regard to the congressional districts, uh, drawing a congressional district uh, that would be majority black uh, would, would mean having to draw a district that ran from Shreveport to Monroe and then came down both sides of, of the state. And he said that Shreveport blacks would not support such a thing. Now, I don't know what your knowledge is about that, but you see it as a priority. I see it as a priority that you get a second congressional district. What can we do? What can the church do? What can I, as Fred Jeff Smith citizen, do to help facilitate that? So one that? of the things we've got to do is educate the community, first of all, right? Most people don't even fully understand what happens at redistricting, mm -hmm. um, and we've got to get people involved in understanding. One, you've got to take the census um, so that we can get the data to be able to draw these lines. Right. Two, I think that the church directly, especially the Baptist conventions and the full gospel and the Church of God in Christ and all of these different uh, denominations that gather together, I think it has to become a priority for those organizations as well. Um, and that they lean in on the new mayor of Shreveport, uh, the, the elected representatives up there in Shreveport, and then we say this is beneficial for us all. Now, mm -hmm. in fairness, North Louisiana, because there's a, a, a decrease in population is going to be concerned about uh, some of the same things we're concerned about in North Baton Rouge, right? So we have Congressman Richmond as our uh, congressman, right. and North Baton Rouge represents about 17% of his district, right? right. New Orleans is the, bo the body of the district, and as a result, many feel like we don't always get what we want or desire out of our congressman because he's from New Orleans, um, and New Orleans is the base of the district, right. okay? Um, and so I can understand that Report and other areas of the state may be concerned of that as well. Mm -hmm. So we've got to make sure that we understand what are the priorities for those folks, right? What are the priorities for North Louisiana? What are they trying to accomplish? And making sure that they understand this isn't going to be just about us, but about us, mm -hmm. right? Collectively. Um, not just about South Louisiana and the priorities of Baton Rouge or Lafayette, uh, but the priorities of Baton Rouge, Lafayette, Shreveport. And the truth is, I think when you look at the, the, the issues that we deal with as African Americans, they're not... Uh, unique to Baton Rouge. They're not unique to North Baton Rouge. They're, mm -hmm. they're happening in Shreveport. They're happening in Alexandria and Monroe. Mm -hmm. um, and often, because we're the largest city in the state at this point, uh, we get the most attention. Um, but how do we then take that attention um, and focus it around the state? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's possible. Uh, so if you ask me, I think that the church can be actively involved in convening people, uh, informing and educating them, mm -hmm. as well as using the muscle of the church to lean on elected officials to say, mm -hmm. this has got happen. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of black folk uh, who, who hear us say, go vote. It's important that you vote. It's important that you, that, that you make your voice heard. And they're starting to push back. And they're saying, why go vote? Our votes don't count. Mm -hmm. uh, because we only have one Democratic, one black representative 
uh, in, in, in national politics, uh, Congressman Richmond. Uh, you're, you're telling me that my vote counts, and yet my vote gets swallowed up in the way that these lines are drawn, in, 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 in red-lined districts, in gerrymandered districts. Uh, why should I continue to vote? I look at what goes on in the Metro Council, and we're always outvoted. Doesn't matter how noble our cause, doesn't matter how bipartisan it might appear to be. A minimum wage should not be a fight between black and white. But see, and yet the vote always turns out to be a black and white vote. And people are starting to push back on this idea that you're telling me to go vote, you're telling me to go vote. I don't see where my vote counts. How would you respond to that? So I don't, I don't, um, I understand the frustration. Uh, more than you know, right? Uh, being one of those people who goes to the microphone at city council meetings and uh, has testified at the legislature, um, gone to school board meetings and mm -hmm. brick meetings, um, I get the frustration, right? But what I understand is because we don't vote is why we have these problems. Um, there are districts within this parish uh, on the Metro Council, District 1 and District 12, uh, where we realistically could get a Democrat, uh, whether that person be black or white. Right. Um, I think that we as black people have got to get to the point that we are accepting of a uh, a white Democrat, a white liberal in some of these positions. Um, but I think that we could get a moderate white uh, or a, a black Democrat in District 1 or District 12. Um, because we don't vote, number one, uh, we don't get the representation that we desire. Number two, um, we've got to give people something to vote for, mm -hmm. right? Candidates they can believe in mm -hmm. and platforms that they can endorse. Not mm -hmm. just saying, uh, I want to go and be uh, the elected official because I want to do more charity events, right? Mm -hmm. We do a lot of giveaways. We do a lot of community good, and that's fine. But the job of an elected official is to bring home resources and to deal with uh, the, mo the toughest problems in our community and figure out how do we get to the solutions of those problems. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we always give people something they can believe leave in to vote for. Mm -hmm. um, when President Obama won in 2008, uh, people said, well, black people went all over the country uh, to vote for Barack Obama, and people all over the country voted for him. It wasn't just that it was the opportunity to vote for a black man. America had had the opportunity to vote for a black man before. It was the fact that Barack Obama uh, gave people a vision that they could believe in. He mm -hmm. talked about hope. He talked about change. Mm -hmm. He talked about the possibilities of doing things differently. Mm -hmm. And as a result, there were some things that happened in his administration to change things, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Healthcare expansion and what he did with Obamacare um, and the ability to put millions of people around this country uh, on health insurance, right, uh, that were not covered, that Trump and his administration have tried to dismantle right. um, ever since then. Elections matter, right, uh, because people were not enthusiastic about Hillary Clinton mm -hmm. uh, all over the country. Uh, millions of people did not go vote. Mm -hmm. uh, even though she won the popular vote, we understand the structure of our government is an electoral college, um, and having that electoral college means that every citizen needs to vote. Now, we understand that Republicans also make it difficult for us to vote, right? Um, and what I challenge anybody who, who uh, struggles with wanting to vote or the desire to vote is, people don't attempt to take from you something that has no value. Mm -hmm. um, and Republicans spend a massive amount of time with voter suppression and trying to keep people from voting, right. um, which is an indication that it has some value. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just think we've got to give people something to believe in, to vote for. Um, we've got to inform them about what it is, and then we've got to engage year-round. It can't be 
we just show up for election year mm -hmm. and say, hey, I want you to vote. But if you haven't changed anything in my community in the last four years, mm -hmm. why should I want to go vote, mm -hmm. right? If I go out and there's still potholes in my community, there's still blighted property in my community, there's still abandoned buildings uh, throughout the community, why should I go vote for somebody who's not changing my community? Mm -hmm. I'd rather just figure out how to change it myself. And that's mm -hmm. why I think we see so many nonprofits pop up, because you have people who have a desire to see change happen. You have a desire uh, to make that change happen, but you're not seeing it happen through the the constructs that we believe they should happen mm -hmm. through. I don't know what your position is on charter schools. I'm I'm kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. Pragmatically, I recognize that they exist and that they're going to exist, but realistically and experientially, charter schools have been abysmal failures in East Baton Rouge Parish. I don't care what Rolf McAllister writes in his paper about the need for vouchers and for charter schools to expand. The evidence shows that charter schools in East Baton Rouge Parish have not worked. Just last night, the school board voted to approve two new charter schools. I know that there's at least one charter school within this parish that's going to close at the end of this school year, chalk up another failure. Uh, what can we do to turn people back to the public school system and devote the time, the talent, the energy, and the money necessary to produce quality public schools minus these voucher programs. I was reading something this morning where 70 some odd percent of the people who attend voucher, uh, who attend school on voucher programs are in DNF schools. Uh, so that's not working. Charter schools are not working. What's it going to take for us to stop listening to these charter groups who come in and overpromise and under, under deliver and we get back to developing true public schools uh, that have a sincere desire to teach people and prepare them for the next level of, of life. So I'm not pro or anti-charter. Um, I think the reason charters exist is because our public schools were failing our children, right? Um, and there were people who felt that this is a way to try and uh, do something different. Um, whether those intentions were pure or not is questionable, right? Um, because Ain't questionable in my mind. Because <laughs> it's all about money. Uh, it, the, 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 and that is that is a reality that charters uh, get to keep the MFP dollars, right? Um, and it's a profit. It's a right. profitable business for them, right? right? Um, so and I, even it, walking out the door, they're making money. They are. They are. Sorry, we couldn't they, help you guys. They took on the to the next them. place, they took and the they take the money. And with often them. they change the charter, do a new application and uh, they get it, right. okay? Um, so I get all of the concerns with it. I think that, one, you've got to get a new superintendent for the state and the local level. Mm -hmm. um, I don't believe that either of the great white hopes have saved our education system. Mm -hmm. um, I think that Warren Drake was a great man, uh, but he has not been a great superintendent of mm -hmm. schools in East Baton Rouge Parish. Um, I think that John White um, has failed the state. Mm -hmm. uh, we are still 49th in education. It doesn't matter if we've improved a little bit. We're still 49. Um, and if you're 49 out of 50, that means you're at the bottom 
bottom of the runger. Um, and if Mississippi is doing better than us, uh, we're in we're in real trouble, yes. right? Um, so I think that you've got to change leadership. Uh, my sister's got to quote, change your people or change your people. Um, and so if we're not changing things within the, the construct of the job, then you're not the person for the job. Um, some charters have been successful. When you look at Madison Prep and CSAL, mm -hmm. uh, you look at, um, I can't think of the name of uh, this other, and so I'm not going to try to name it, but uh, Madison Prep I'll, I'll deal with, right? They've been a, bl a B, Blue Ribbon School in North Baton Rouge. Uh, they have a, almost 100% black teaching staff, 100% mm -hmm. black student population, mm -hmm. majority from uh, North Baton Rouge. Uh, Lamont Cole has been the chief academic officer over there. I think the difference there is it's homegrown. It's people in this community that understand this community, that understand the culture of this community, and can educate the children within this community. I'm not sure that big box charters that, that have this one-size-fits-all approach mm -hmm. is going to work for us. Mm -hmm. um, it has not worked thus far. Um, basis has opened uh, out there in southeast Baton Rouge. Um, we haven't seen any scores from that, and Basis was given another charter. I'm not saying that Basis is, is uh, good or bad. We don't know. We've got to see the numbers to know that for sure. Parents are satisfied uh, with the treatment of their children and the education that they believe they're being provided. Uh, but the school system has failed to uh, be equitable in their distributions of resources and facilities, right? And so if I'm a parent and I want to get my child a good education mm -hmm. and I'm white, I send my child to private school mm -hmm. because I can afford to do so. Mm -hmm. If I'm a parent and I want my child to have a good education and I'm black in East Baton Rouge Parish, I either try to get my child into the magnet program of the school system mm -hmm. or charter, mm -hmm. right? Because you don't want to send your kid to a DNF school. And if this charter is going to open up and build a new shiny building, uh, put new, new bells and whistles in and make it look like it's a better opportunity for my child, I'll send my child there in an attempt to get my child a better education. What we've got to do is figure out where's the accountability for charters, right? Um, this three-year time span, I, I do recognize that uh, if I were a charter operator, I would want some level of time to be able to produce, right, to prove what I can produce. Um, and I think three years is enough. But what are we what are we doing to measure the success of them year by year? Why is uh, there no contingency uh, component added to this? Uh, wh whereas we will produce X, Y, and Z within a three to five year period of time. If we don't, we have to give the money back. Now that would be very very interesting. I think that 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 is something that we could look at. Right. Um, Let's be honest. Most of those people will have blown through some of that money on staff. Of course staffing, they would. Right? Um, but they're not spending all of the money on staff. They're no. not spending all of the money on facilities. Um, and I think that that's something that we can explore. Or there should be a penalty, uh, or some level of penalty if you haven't produced, because you're taking so many resources away. Uh, this this rift that the school system is going through right now, where they're looking at a reduction in force, is a result of charters opening, right? Um, the charter isn't the problem, though. The, the failing East Baton Rouge public schools are. Um, and I think that we've made the charters the enemy because that is the easy part, because charters didn't come based on uh, their desire just to be here. They came as a result of us not producing quality We schools. have been sold a bill of goods that says that the public school system has failed, and so we have to abandon. No, I don't think we have system. to abandon, though. That's, that's the biggest bunch of crap. That, that 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 you could ever imagine. Public schools were fine right up until 1954. What happened in 1954? 
desegregation. The Supreme Court said that schools must be desegregated. All of a sudden, across this nation, public schools became public enemy number one. We have to get our kids out of public schools. St. George is coming into existence for the sole reason of forming an independent school district so that they can break away from East Baton Rouge Parish school system and take schools with them as they go and not pay for them. It's the biggest bunch of bull crap that you could ever find. And yet black folk are buying into this stuff and not demanding that our public schools service the needs of our children. We, instead of fighting to keep public schools, we're fighting to get better charters. And I think it's the wrong fight. I think that when people don't know what to do, they'll grab at anything, right? Um, and so we've watched the school system. I rem so I went to school uh, here and in Florida, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, from eighth grade to the middle of my senior year, I was in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I came back in the middle of my senior year from uh, Terry Parker, and I went to Glen Oaks High. Mm -hmm. It was night and day, mm -hmm. uh, the environments that I was educated in, compared, comparing Jacksonville, Duval County Public Schools to East Baton Rouge Parish Public Schools, mm -hmm. right? Um, I just didn't go to school most days when I came back in the middle of my senior year because uh, the environment was not what I was adapted to, and I'm not going to uh, diminish uh, the school that I went to because I think that we had a good principal who was attempting to do a good job at the mm -hmm. time. Um, but I can tell you, being someone who went to school in a different environment and coming to go to school in East Baton Rouge Parish, um, it is drastically different, right? And and I there was think a difference in facilities. It was a difference in facilities. There was a difference in the the quality of education. There was a difference in the control in the classroom. Uh, there was a difference in uh, the staffing and just the, the everything in it, the public school system that you attended in Florida. Uh, was there a significant number of white students who were, yes. who, who were part of that school? We, the school I went to was 47% uh, black uh, and about 47% white, and the other percentage was others. And when you came into Glen Oaks, what, what was the breakdown? All black. There? All black. All black. Yeah. I went to my, and I went to a school that was almost 3,000 students. Um, and uh, we were a C school. We weren't like uh, outperforming every other school in the, the county, right? Mm -hmm. But we were, uh, we were decent, right? Mm -hmm. and we got a good quality public, public education. Um, there was no big charter deal. I graduated high school in 2004. Um, there was no big charter God, deal uh, <laughs> in Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah. uh, but private schools were, were, right. were dominant. Uh, okay. were private schools that people uh, sent their children to there. Um, but coming back here and seeing the difference right in structure mm -hmm. in we had four hour periods in Jacksonville, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, four uh, class periods and so we were in class an hour and a half uh, per class um, and we which was very much the way Baton Rouge High was I went to Baton Rouge High and that's the way it was four classes you took six classes but you only took four a day correct and yeah. then you had the uh, alternatives right. uh, two days a week so right. for me the amount of work we uh, we did in a week right uh, in a day in Jacksonville we did it in a week here right 
the amount of productivity we're giving our children. Some of the behavior problems that I think happen in our classrooms happen because we're not keeping our children stimulated mentally long mm -hmm. enough, right? We're not engaging them in the way that is going to challenge them to do better. Uh, I think that the Jumpstart program, for instance, in East Baton Rouge Parish, where uh, kids get to learn a trade while they're in high school or figure that pathway out, mm -hmm. I think we've got to ramp that up. We've got to turn that to the to the 10th power, to the, to the level that uh, we're taking young men and women from high school ready to go into the workforce because everybody's not going to a four-year college. We've got to begin to recognize that and understand it mm -hmm. and begin to provide a workforce for uh, the employers that are providing jobs in our community. I, agree with that. Um, I think that we've got to begin to have conversations about what are the pieces of early childhood development that we're missing as a state um, because the average child in the black community that's coming into these schools are coming in without the early childhood development that mm -hmm. they need. Mayor Broom has uh, a Cradle to K initiative, right? Yes. Um, for me, I haven't seen much more than a Facebook group out of that, but I would love to see that program turn into something that we can get funded either through philanthropy or the government to be able to get universal child care um, in East Baton Rouge Parish, universal early child care for East Baton Rouge Parish. Mm -hmm. I think stuff like that is going to make a tremendous difference in us getting our kids prepared to enter into the school system. Because yeah. if I'm, if I am a teacher at kindergarten, right, or first grade, and I get a child that's not uh, where they need to be, and I've got two or three kids in the class that are where they need to be, then I've got to teach at the level of the majority and bring them up. So this child is lacking. And so I think because we haven't figured that out, I sent my daughter to uh, Greater King David uh, for early child care. Right. So she went there for the first three, four years. Um, she had a late birthday, so I think we did four years. But ultimately uh, Zoe was able to test get into the magnet program at East Baton Rouge Parish and she's been in one of the top performing elementary schools since she's uh, gotten to elementary school right but it's because of that early childhood development. I'm not going to tell you that me and her mom did such a tremendous job teaching her uh, her ABCs and one, two, threes, but we put her in an environment where uh, there was an elderly lady named Ms. Johnson who taught my daughter, right, and gave her uh, the fullness of a young education that she was coming out of uh, pre-K reading, writing, and doing math. I that, understand. That's a critical component. And so I think when we when we tackle those problems, when we get our kids started at, at an early age, I think that we begin to solve some of our problems. I haven't seen Warren Drake or the school system tackle that issue uh, aggressively enough, or John White um, at the state level, because, you know, it's not just a, a problem unique to Baton Rouge. It's a statewide issue. It is a statewide issue. My concern, and, and the reason why I asked about uh, uh, your experience in, in Jacksonville, Florida schools are funded through property taxes. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Is is there a homestead exemption in Florida? Are you aware? I'm not sure. I can look it up though. Louisiana still suffers struggles under a seventy-five thousand dollar homestead exemption. Now you're already one of the poorest states in the union, and now you're telling people that the first seventy-five thousand dollars of of your you don't home. Have to pay. Uh, you're not going to be assessed property taxes. And so we constantly have to go back and tax ourselves through millages and, and all of these tax proposals in order to get decent amounts of money to fund things like infrastructure and schools. Uh, how can you develop a quality public school program if you don't have the money in order to provide 
the facilities. Uh, the facilities, the pay for teachers. Yes. Uh, if you look at uh, Texas, we, we love to say we're competing with Texas, right? We're not. We're no. not in competition with Texas. Not at all. At all. Um, if you look at Texas just gave their teachers statewide a $5,000 a year pay raise. And we're arguing about uh, for $1,000. $1,000 that'll be ate up in taxes, yes. right? Um, there are people that I've talked to this year that are leaving for Georgia, that are leaving for Texas from our public school system. Uh, they're uprooting their entire families, right? Uh, their children that they're taking out of our public schools and they're moving to Georgia uh, to be administrators or teachers there because they're gonna make more money. And I understand it, right? Because they wanna provide for their families sure. a, a better quality of life. Uh, I was supporting Andrew Gillum uh, for governor of Florida, right? right? But Ron DeSantis won and he's giving teachers that are high performing a $9,000 bonus this year. Mm -hmm. 9000 mm -hmm. right? That's, a, that, that's enough incentive to make somebody want to go be an educator. Certainly. Right? Louisiana has got to get to the point where we decide how do we get there. I think, and, and most Democrats fear this because they fear everything Republicans will do, uh, I think we need a constitutional convention. I think that when you look at uh, the way that we dedicate our resources as a state and you look at all of the money that's dedicated that we can't touch every year and the money that we can touch is education and health care, mm -hmm. we've got to begin to open the pot up. If you uh, here at Shiloh or in your personal finances have something you got to take care of, you don't look at just a portion of your money. You look at all of your money and say, is this working? Right. If it's not working, let's move some of these resources uh, and get something done. When you talk about ITEP, right? People fought ITEP right. uh, to and nail to say uh, we need to protect Exxon. Exxon isn't the only one uh, that's benefiting from the ITEP uh, exemption. It's companies all over the state, the petrochemical industry, right? We've got to ask ourselves as a state, in 20 years, oil and gas isn't going to be what it is mm -hmm. because we're going to a green uh, society, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're getting uh, out of the fossil fuel industry. As that happens, what happens to our state? What happens to our state's economy? Mm -hmm. And what happens to all that money we're leaving on the table right now that we're not collecting to be able to improve things if we don't diversify this economy, number one, and if we don't begin to look at these resources and say, are you paying your fair share? And the truth is, many of us pay our fair share, whether it's through sales taxes, uh, property taxes, the most regressive the sales millages. tax system in this um, nation. So we pay our part, but big business doesn't. Correct. And so when we talk about how do we get there, I think we've got to have a real conversation with the business industry. And um, yet, when you say something to business and industry, they threaten to pick up their stuff they and do. go. But I think, Exxon ain't going but nowhere. I think, I think the way we approach the conversation has not always been right either, right? So I sit down and talk to some of these guys that run these organizations, and we have practical conversations about this stuff, and they understand uh, that they can't control this the way that they want to. But the fight for them is, if you're going to demonize one entity, then of course I'm going to stand and defend my one entity. It's across the board that we've got to begin to hit these people um, and say, you know what, none of y'all are doing your fair share to pay these resources. Um, and then we've got to have a governor uh, that is unafraid of these folks and willing to not just uh, amend it and then be quiet, but then to amend it and then continue to take the position with the community that we need you to pay more. Because if we don't, uh, we continue to be 49th. I've been saying for 30 years that Louisiana needs to get rid of the homestead exemption. It, I, I think it needs to be eliminated altogether. But if you can't eliminate it, you ought to severely reduce it. $75,000 is entirely 
too much in this city that means that a whole lot of people don't pay a dime in property taxes and yet we have roads that need to be fixed we have schools that need to be repaired we have teachers and uh, educational staff that needs to be paid it's a ridiculous thing uh, and yet, anytime you start talking about touching the homestead exemption, it, it got Buddy Roma kicked out of office. But Buddy Roma is the last governor I can remember, and I'm a whole lot older than you because you both graduated from high school in 2004. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy Roma got literally got kicked out of office because he dared to say we need to approach uh, reducing the homestead exemption. Why is that such a sacred cow in this state when we are 49th out of 50? I think when people don't understand something, they fight it. Um, and, and you've got to not just tell people that you're going to spend more money. You've got to show them what the benefit is to that, right? Um, and I'm not sure. I, of course, I wasn't uh, no. privy to what was happening <laughs> in the politics of the day, right? Uh, but I think that if we explore that conversation, that there's, you're going to always hear me talk about educating the community and informing the people, right? Uh, because too often when I walk in the rooms and we begin to talk about these issues, the people don't fully understand how this works, right? Um, don't fully understand how much money we're leaving there. Mm -hmm. When you begin to paint the picture and say, because of homestead exemption, the same way we've painted the picture with ITEP, how much money's on the table with the ITEP deal, when the community was educated, the community supported uh, the ITEP piece of it, right? That that these big industries should pay their fair share. Right. I believe that taxpayers would even say that among themselves, that uh, if you educate them about the benefits of what will happen in this community, if there was more money on the table, I think that you'd get a, a, a better opportunity at getting that done, and I could support something like that.